If you have your Bibles, please go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 20. We shall continue the series through the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. These are the ten words given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but by the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the, lo the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Last week we considered the sixth commandment, you shall not commit, sorry, you shall not murder. But in these few days, this commandment has been broken. Um, you have cases of people killing their loved ones, uh, cases of false teachers uh, committing heinous crimes, misleading people with false doctrine to the point that people lose their lives. And that is in defiance of God's commandment. The first three commandments follow us into the church, follow us into his sanctuary. They have to do with worship. The fourth commandment have to do, has to do with our workplace. The fifth commandment follows us into our family room. The sixth commandment follows man into the abortion clinic. And the seventh commandment follows us today into our bedroom. You see, the commandments of God encompasses the whole of human life. There's no escape from the law of God. The whole purpose for this commandment was to uphold the sanctity 
of marriage. And sadly, there's no commandment that is so broken today than the seventh commandment. To say the moral decline in our society has been very rapid and reckless. And there are sinister people who will champion every kind of sin that is related to the perversion of sex. And for some, this commandment may seem outdated in the society today, so that there is hardly any restriction on how far they can go in their perversion of sex. And so we come to the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. It is very plain. It is very pointed to you. You. You shall not commit adultery. What is adultery? What is adultery? How, how will you define adultery? What's the difference between adultery and fornication? is between unmarried people. Yes. So that's the difference. Adultery is the voluntary sexual intercourse between a married person and a partner other than a lawful spouse. This is sadly a sin that is very prevalent today in our country. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 20 says it talks of the adulteress and he says this is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done no wrong. That is the attitude of many people towards this sin. That they indulge in it. And they speak like this adulteress really that I have done no wrong. And this is how this sin is regarded today. Adultery has wrecked marriages. It has brought untold sorrow. It has destroyed the family unit because this command, the violation of this commandment is to break the law of God. This commandment is designed on the positive end to protect family and by extension to protect marriage. You see the consequences of this commandment, very fatal in Proverbs chapter 5, 6 and 7, speaks of the devastating results of sexual immorality. God gives the gift of marriage. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 27. When marriage is instituted, someone can read for us from verse 18 to 24. 
Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 to 24. So the book of beginnings here teaches us that marriage was instituted by God. The pattern, the design for humankind was instituted at creation. So it's evident here that the husband and the wife should live together in a lasting union, in a permanent relationship. See, this is God's design for marriage and family. The children are raised up in the context of family and marriage is what God defines it to be he says one man one woman as our confession says so when you see this institution established in Genesis chapter 2 the one flesh there is more than sexual union but it is not less than sexual union and so Sexual activity outside of marriage is prohibited. And so God has set the boundaries in which marriage or sex should be exercised. And so it's prohibited for one to have sex before marriage. Sex before marriage is fornication. Once you're married, sex outside of marriage is adultery. And both adultery and fornication is prohibited by God. You have to realize that Sex is a wonderful gift given by God. And when it is abused, it is corrupted. It is defiled. It is cheapened. And so it should be used, it should be exercised in the context in which God has created it to be. The unique thing about this commandment is that adultery wrecks relationship in a way that you could say other relationships do not. Adultery destroys trust. It undermines intimacy. It defiles the purity of the marriage relationship. And so it destroys marriage and this is a gross sin. It carries consequences that cannot be blotted, blotted out. Let's look at an example in Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. 
someone could read from verse 30 to 35. Oh, sorry, verse 30 to 33. Proverbs 6, 30 to 33. People do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his appetite when he is hungry. But if he is caught, he will pay sevenfold. He will give all the goods of his house. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor, and disgrace will not be wiped away. Yeah, so you're giving there the contrast between two people, a thief and an adulterer. And this thief is going to steal because the family is lacking food and the consequences of his sin is what he shall do what he shall pay sevenfold that which he has stolen but you see the damning consequences of adultery he says that an adulterer lacks sense he destroys himself he says he will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away we know from the old testament the consequences for adultery was what? Capital punishment. A stone to death. Um, <clears throat> and so, you have the example of David in the Old Testament. He suffered the consequences of his sin for the rest of his life. And the shame of his sin is recorded in Scripture for all eternity. The child that was conceived in this act of adultery died. And then you have his own son, Absalom, rebelling against him. God spoke through the prophet and said, what, the sword shall not depart from your house. You see, his reputation was tarnished in all of Israel. This sin almost cost him his kingship. Even in 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5, 1 Kings chapter 15, verse 5 says, because David did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life except in the matter of Uriah the, 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 the Hittite. He had a wonderful life, but this wonderful life was tainted by what he did with regard to Bathsheba. These consequences pursued him into the grave. And that incident becomes a blot to an otherwise great reputation. And it's clear to us that God regards adultery as a gross sin. And this sin is destructive to the society. And obviously you could say that there are degrees to sin. There are sins that are more heinous than others. This is not to minimize every other sin. Every sin is defiance against God. Every sin is serious, but there are sins that are more condemning, that have far-reaching consequences than others. There are sins that judgment will be more harsh, will be more harsher than others. Jesus says in Matthew 10 verse 15, truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. So there are degrees to sin. And this sin is very gross. Human culture, in general, have regarded adultery as a terrible sin. Even the secular 
culture today. It seeks to sear the conscience of people against this sin. How cannot manage to counter the shame and the consequences that come with it? There's a sense that people know that adultery is wrong. And it doesn't matter how much you nuance the definition of this adultery, as long as you are unfaithful to someone, that unfaithfulness tarnishes your name no matter what. It damages people's perception of your character. And so it is horribly destructive. Proverbs over and over again, Proverbs 5, 6, and 7, focuses on the bitter consequences of this sin. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 27 says, Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can he walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is he who goes on, sorry, so is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. None who touches her will go unpunished. You see, you commit adultery and relinquish your innocence forever. You cannot commit this sin and get away with it. It will destroy you. Your sin will find you out. Before we look at the broader meaning to, to this commandment, any question or comment before we continue? Question, comment. the commandment is, is very direct. It is very specific, isn't it? When it says you shall not commit adultery, and we know what adultery is, uh, but we know from scripture that Jesus Christ, for instance, expounds on this commandment, and he gives the intended meaning of it, isn't it? He says, you've heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, and then he expounds it. He, he, he seeks to show us how this sin encompasses every other area of our life. Because not committing adultery presupposes that this is a person who is married, 
and therefore committing unlawful sexual relations outside of marriage, then that by implication means that it's not only that you commit sin when you are unfaithful to your spouse, it's also that you commit sin when you have sexual relations outside the context of marriage. So there is a, there is a direct implication on every other immoral sexual practice yeah. uh, that, uh, that is encompassed in this commandment not to commit to So in a broader way, as Pasi is saying, adultery will constitute anything that defiles the institution of marriage. And so this commandment is not merely dealing with external behavior, but inward desire. Any inward desire that leads to the act of adultery is deemed to be uh, to be the violation of this commandment. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15 verse 19 you could turn there, Matthew 15 verse 19 Matthew 15 verse 19 Christ says for out of the heart come evil thoughts murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. You see, every sin stems from evil thoughts, as Christ says. They arise from the heart. And so the Ten Commandments speak more of our inward thoughts and desires more than our external behavior. And so often people think of sin as a, as a social and political problem. They'll say corruption is, is a political problem, for instance. They think that if something, something is wrong, something injures or causes harm to someone, that is sin. But as long as I'm committing a personal sin, that is not harmful to other people, it is not sin. You see, sin is sin. Sin is wrong because God is dishonored in it. Sin is wrong because it is an affront on the Holy God. And so the evil, impure thoughts violates God's standard. Just as the, 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 the adulterous act itself So that the husband and the wife are commanded <clears throat> in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 9, we've looked at this, to enjoy one another, to enjoy their marriage. It says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun. Because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. And one of the ways to prevent adultery in marriage is what? It's to enjoy one another. And this is as much of a command as do not steal. God commands us to enjoy life, to enjoy the woman God has given you, 
to enjoy marriage as a gift from God. And marriage next to the relationship of Christ is the has the greatest capacity of joy in this life. But on the flip side, just as marriage has the greatest capacity for misery and sorrow. There's no misery like marital misery. There's no joy like marital joy. And things that ruin marriage, adultery is one of them. Solomon in Song of Solomon 2.15 warns us, he says, catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. He's warning and saying, solve the, those little issues before they become a big problem. And one of those things that can bring misery and sorrow is the perversion of sex. And so adultery is a matter of the heart. And how do you know your heart? Christ Jesus tells us that whoever looks at a woman with lust, Matthew chapter 5, you could turn there. Matthew 5, 27 to 30, someone can read for us. Matthew 5, 27 to 30. be said as well that it's not simply a matter of lasting of a woman. It can simply be a matter of having an adulterous heart. A heart that is inclined to sexualize everything. To sexualize everyone. To live as if sex is the beginning and the end of every happiness in this life. An adulterous heart is a heart that is not cleansed. A heart that is has not repented of this sin and it is a breeding ground for these acts of adultery. We cannot emphasize enough the dangers of internet pornography. They are enormous. It leads to what you've seen as human trafficking. But the idea of feeding your eyes, your heart with real images it, it does lower your guard when this temptation comes you'll offer very little resistance against adultery if you're hooked on pornography and so you come to Matthew chapter 5 verse 27 and Jesus Christ strikes at the heart of an adulterous behavior and he says it's a lustful look that's where it begins so it's not enough to be innocent of the physical act of adultery. Allah tells us that if 
If you look at a woman with lust, if you look at a man with lust, you've broken this seventh commandment. And you've committed this act of adultery in your heart. You have the example of David. Um, when kings went to battle, he remained behind. And he was looking from the window, gazing at Bathsheba. And how, so, how, how sin escalates very quickly. And so we ought to be watchful with what we see. Because our eyes are the window of our soul. We ought to be watchful which programs we watch. We ought to be watchful what we see in the social media. We ought to be watchful when surfing the internet. And so it can be very sad for so-called Christians to be addicted to pornography. How we ought to pray like Job that I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. And so Jesus Christ exposes, expo, exposes this law and he says that the standard of the Pharisees the standard that the Pharisees had placed as regards to purity is very low. And Jesus here is not changing the standard of the law given by Moses. Rather he is magnifying it. He says, I'll not, I've not come to abolish the law, but I've come to fulfill it. I've come to strengthen it. And so he's correcting the common misunderstanding about the law of God. And so Jesus is addressing the breath of what this sin is. And the act of adultery stems from a lustful look. The act of lustfully looking at a person. And you realize that this is a very, very high standard set for us. That if you entertain a fleecing desire towards a, another person, you violate the spirit of this commandment. And God has set this standard so high for us. And as married people within our midst, there should be fervency, a singular mind towards your spouse for you to be kept away from this sin. And to violate your marriage commitment is such a serious sin in the eyes of God. So that when the nation of Israel was unfaithful to the covenant of God, the most common metaphor that God used for their unfaithfulness was what? Adultery. God uses the imagery of adultery to convey what his people have done for him. And so you may wonder, why will God appeal to something like that? And the answer is simple, in terms of human experience. Adultery is one of the most painful experiences a person can have. To have a bond and a union of that covenant violated and breached is one of the most painful experiences a man or a woman can have. And so this is the context. God is trying to show the nation, the nation of Israel of how their unfaithfulness is to him. 
Look at Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 1 to 3. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 1 to 3. Bible says, If a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's wife, will he return to her? Will not that land be greatly polluted? You have played the whole with many lovers. And will you return to me? declares the Lord. Lift up your eyes to the bare heights and see where have you not been ravished? By the waysides you have sat awaiting lovers like an Arab in the wilderness. You have polluted the land with your vile hodom. Therefore, the showers have been withheld and the spring rain has not come. Yet you have the forehead of a hoe. You refuse to be ashamed. See, God likens the unfaithfulness, their spiritual rebellion to adultery. And this is the picture that is repeatedly um, portrayed in the Old Testament of unfaithful spouse. You have played the hope. To many lovers, Jeremiah says. So unbelief, rebellion is spiritual adultery. And so if you're unfaithful to God, you're a spiritual adulterer, isn't it? And so this seventh commandment is relevant to you as well. It is applicable to all of us. You may say I've never been guilty of these acts of physical adultery. But every one of us has been guilty of spiritual adultery. We have been unfaithful to our God. Listen to James chapter 4 verse 1. James chapter 4 verse 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. See, this is why adultery is a terrible sin. Because it manifests itself with unfaithful heart. So the act of physical adultery shows that we are spiritually unfaithful. This is a sin of the heart. The consequences of this sin were dire in the Old Testament. Leviticus 20 verse 10, God says, if a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. If you contrast this with stealing, for instance, the passage you read in Proverbs, if a man steals because his family is in need, is to pay sevenfold. Isn't it? But if a man sleeps with his neighbor's wife, they shall be put to death. They, they will pay to their own life. And so you see the seriousness of these commandments based on the penalty that is attached to it. Deuteronomy 22 verse 22, if a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. So God required nothing less than death penalty for those who are found guilty of committing adultery in the Old Testament. And so this is an institution, marriage is an institution that is very sacred. And to violate it, comes with penalties of terrible proportion. 
so that if you're if you're not married and, and you commit an act of adultery or an act of fornication you're taking that which is not from you're taking something that is that does not belong to you and you're also giving away something you're giving away your purity to someone else you need violating this commandment and every time scripture lists gross sins sins that will get people to hell the sin of adultery the sin of sexual immorality is on top of that list galatians 5:19 now the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and things like this and then he says i warn you as i warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of god revelation 21 verse 8 but as for the cowardly the faithless the detestable as for murderers the sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death this sin is very gross and it destroys those who practice it so what is the remedy for this sin what will you say is the remedy both for the believer and non-believer obviously for the non-believer the only remedy they can have is the gospel how about the believer what is the solution ultimate remedy what else does the scripture exhort us to do as regards to uh, not only this sin but all other sins
Yes. Because the defensive is that you flee from all youthful passions, uh, passions and lust. Mm. We see this in Joseph. Mm. Um, and even in Proverbs, um, should be chapter 7, where it talks about there's a young man who lacks sense. In the exhortation, it says, don't even pass mm. in the street where the yeah. woman is waiting. Yeah. So there's that defensive where you don't, you don't take yourself where mm. or you know and then the, the, the other one is now in places where obviously you can't get away from it then you have to guard your eyes and you have to guard um, your heart yes. the same says the same thing guard your heart from it so um, all of your life so Yes. What comes in. Mm. And control what comes out of your heart. Yes. Yes. Yeah, so it's it's both uh, as Gatano says, it's both um, defensive and offensive, isn't it? So you have a passage like <clears throat> Colossians three five he says, Put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So one of the ways you can overcome it is to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to choke that sin, to choke the life of that sin out of you. If you put to death the deeds of the flesh, the Bible says you will live. So you need to act harshly towards this sin. You need to burn the bridges that keep you uh, that keep letting you fall into it. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. If David was sober, if he was vigilant, he would not have fallen into this sin, isn't it? Um... Philippians chapter 4 verse 7 calls us to calls us to the purity of the heart. Um, Philippians 4 7 4, 4, 8, 4 8 Finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just, whatever is pure whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable if there is any excellence if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So think about those things. Um, and we've, go, we've preached through this passage and all those are a picture of Christ. Christ was true. Christ was honorable. Christ was pure. Christ was lovely. Christ was commendable. Christ was excellent. Christ was worthy of praise. And... Ideally, we think of we think of we think on Christ. Anything else?
Four years. Submit to God, and the devil will. Yes, uh, James four seven and eight. Mm. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Mm. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you than married God, God calls you to be pure until you are married it's only then that you can enjoy sex with the wife that God has given you if you are not married the gift of sex is not available to you until marriage it's only when you marry that God opens up that gift for you and so if you are struggling with it don't tolerate this sin Pluck it out. Christ says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Because you see the damning consequences of this sin. If your marriage, adultery destroys trust in marriage. Adultery is so serious that it gives warrant to dissolve marriage. Marriage doesn't have to end in divorce, but it gives warrant for divorce. And so it is a serious sin with horrific consequences. This sin is not only negative, but it is also positive. It exhorts us to be faithful. And so don't look at it necessarily in terms of uh, its negative connotation. See it as an exhortation to manifest faithfulness to God. And so this faithfulness to God should not be a burden or a duty to you. It should be a delight. And so you are commanded to enjoy your marriage. Enjoy the woman whom God has given you. To rejoice in them. And so God calls us if you're single, enjoy the singlehood. And those who are struggling, those who do not have a relationship with Christ, there's no good news than the gospel. There's no good news than to know that the famous man known as the man after God's own heart was known as a notorious breaker of this commandment. But you can find repentance and forgiveness of your sins in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you've stepped out of God's bounds, you need to repent. You need to put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Do not be deceived, neither adulterers, fornicators. And he goes on listing the list. He says, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, but such were some of you. But what has happened? You have been cleansed. You have been washed. You have been justified. You 
God has regenerated you. And so God can walk in the life of an adulterer and serve them. There is real forgiveness for those who repent. And if this is a big issue for you, you need to talk to somebody, please open up. If you have an adulterous heart, you need to say, I have a serious problem. Because an adulterous heart is the breeding ground for this sin. When this temptation arises, you cannot resist it. So God calls you to purity for his glory and for your good. Let us pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your command. Commandment. Your commandment is true. It is boundless. It is limitless as the psalmist says. And we thank you that that which you have ordained and instituted ought to be exercised according according to, to your prescription. We pray, Lord, that marriages in our midst may be honorable. That husbands may seek to love their wives just as Christ loved the church. Wives may seek to submit to their husbands just as the church submits to Christ. We pray, Lord, that you may purge away this sin of adultery. We know that our hearts are deceptive. All of us have fallen and sinned against you in this way. But we have the good news, Lord, that we can find forgiveness through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because you are faithful and just, uh, you're faithful and just to forgive if we repent of our sins. Grant us your grace, Lord, as we continue to worship you this morning and help us, Lord, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.